Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Episode 10. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming Heidi Van Dyken, who has been one of my longest standing friends in the past several years. And she has been the voice, the true voice of encouragement to me over the years. In fact, she, she helped me as I was speaking in South Africa. She flew with me to be my assistant and she was such a blessing to me during that time. She has an interesting story, and I don't want to spoil it, so I'm just going to get right to it. But I do pray that her words will, will give you a lot of courage and the ability to trust Jesus through thick and thin. So let's listen to Heidi's story. Hey, it's Mary, and I'm here with Heidi Van Dyken, and I'm so excited to interview her. And we, um, we have been friends for a long time, probably one of my longest standing friends. And in fact, we met in college at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> and so I, I, that's when we met and she and I became friends and she was kind of a crazy girl and, uh, sometimes perplexing to me because I didn't always understand what she was doing. She said she was a Christian. And so I, you know, moved on that assumption and, and went on that assumption. And it wasn't until years later that I kind of uncovered the real story of what was going on. And so, um, I just want to ask Heidi first about how she, truly met Christ or what her story was. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. I'm glad to be here. Truly meeting Jesus. It's kind of, as I look back over my life, he has intersected my life on so many occasions. And he just, he wanted me. (laughs) And uh, he put people in my life strategically. I can look back to show me Jesus, to speak to me Jesus. And I found it just easier to, I mean, there are good people or nice people to hang out with. So it's just good to kind of go along. I mean, I grew up in the church, but it was more about that's what good upstanding citizens did. You went mm-hmm. to church on Sunday, and if you were good enough, you got to go out to Sunday Sunday dinner, you know, the, the big deal when I was a kid. And uh, it wasn't until I was in a job situation, actually, where it challenged me more than anything ever had. It was a therapeutic boarding school. It was an emotional growth type program, and it was very humanistic. And it was requiring things of me that it just brought me to the end of myself. And yet again, God had strategically placed believers in my life who spoke the truth of God and his love and his forgiveness and my need for a redeeming savior that I um, finally got on my knees, um, basically, and gave up my life. I died to myself. I asked for repentance. And I did a 180. My life was like totally different night and day. And because um, it was more not just about having that salvation, but it was about making him Lord of my life. And I think that was the real 
difference and changing point for me. That's awesome. And I, I just remember, um, I remember a phone call that you gave, that you called me and you, and I was like, wow, this is Heidi. And, and, uh, you said something like, I, I met Jesus. And I was like, I thought you already knew him. And then things started to make a little more sense to me because it was, it was several years after we had met. And so, in fact, you might, I think you know this story. I'm pretty sure you know the story, but you came down to visit us. And we lived in Palestine, Texas. And uh, one of the most significant things happened while you were there. And I, I've told the story before audiences before, but because I grew up in the home that I grew up in, I never quite understood or knew that I was loved by my parents. And so with my kids, I had this extreme insecurity about, you know, do they know I love them? I, but I never had it voiced. I didn't like write down in my journal, oh, I wonder if my kids know that if I love them. It was like this deep inside thing, this inside fear that I had never voiced. So you had spent a week with me and I saw like brand new Heidi and she was like this, like Jesus Heidi. And I, I really liked her. And not that I didn't like you before, but it was like such a surprise. And, um, at the end of the week, you, you met, you said, I, I think I need to tell you something. You said, I want you to look in my eyes. I'm like, okay. And, um, I was afraid, you know, this woo woo or whatever. <laughs> and you said, you looked at me and you said, you need to know that your kids know that you love them. And something, you probably don't even remember. Do you remember that? Yeah. It changed my life. I don't know if you knew this, but you were responding to the Holy Spirit. And there was something inside of me that just broke open because I had never voiced that fear before. And I was so afraid that they didn't know. And yet here comes someone from the outside, watches me love my kids. And of course, I'm like crazy chasing after them. I love you. Do you know I love you? Love you. I was so insecure about it. So I probably overloved them, but something broke in me and I, it was like a gift that I, that was specifically from the Lord through you to me where I just knew that, okay, God saw what I was doing and he saw my children and he knew that I, he, he was letting me know something silent about myself that I didn't even know I was able to verbalize. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, let's, Jump. Actually, I'm going to jump into another part of that story. When we were, when you were visiting me there, you you told me about this guy named Mike, and uh, you were like hanging out with him and laying on trampolines and looking at the sky together. And there was just something funny about how you talked about him. And so then you went home and tell me what happened. Oh well, I went home and we'd been friends for a couple years. We'd met at church. We actually met on the demolition crew of uh, tearing apart an old warehouse building and turning it into the into the church we um, then be, we were attending and um, we were friends mm. you know just that straight out friends you know I from Idaho we went fishing you mm-hmm. know and and we'd you know lay out on the trampoline look at stars and listen to the elk bugle at night and you know and those kinds of things and but then and I was thinking friends, and then one day that changed, and he let me know his intentions, and that was like July of 2000, October of 2000, we were engaged, in December we were married, and it's been, this December will be 15 years. Mm. Um, that radically transformed my life, and uh, in a good way, and really, really let me see a different part of what it is to be the bride of Christ as well. Yeah, that I, I know for me, I don't really... 
I think I've understood the love of God more because I have a husband who loves me. And there's just something he like demonstrates Jesus to me. So fast forward now, he had children. And so you were like not, uh, you weren't immediately like awesome newlyweds with no kids around. You had kids and they were old kids and all of that. And you mined through that and you had various jobs. But then um, there was a call that you sensed and just kind of tell us about you were in cold Idaho, and there was this place in Mexico. So tell us about that part of the story. Well, my husband and I had had conversations about wanting to be on the mission field. Um, God had put an unrest in our spirit. And so we spent a couple years of trying to make it happen ourselves. (laughs) And finally, I mean, it's just, maybe that's just a constant theme in my life. When I get to the end of myself, God appears. (laughs) He's always been there. He's just let me work through all of myself. And so it'd been a couple years, and we finally just laid it all at God's feet as husband and wife and said, okay, God, we will go wherever you want to send us. We will give up whatever you need us to give up. And that was hard. He had had two daughters, and at this time they were grown and out of the house. I am an animal lover. I had animals and I always thought in the back of my mind that I would be in South Africa because I'd gone there before and it just continues to this day holds a special part in my life. And, but when we finally laid all that out and went to bed that night, two weeks later, we got a phone call about a, um, a facility that houses, uh, short-term missions groups, uh, south of Ensenada in, in Baja, California, Norte, North Mexico. And, um, they needed people to come take it over. And we were like, wow, okay, well, we did the Christian answer. We need to pray about Mm -hmm. it. And so we prayed about it for a week. We went and talked to the leadership of our church, just seeking wise counsel. And they looked at us and they said, can it be any more clear? (laughs) It's like, okay. So we went back and we said, we'll do it. But, you know, there are some conditions. We have to sell our house. And we live 30 miles south of the Canadian border in a little town that was um, extremely economically depressed. The only thing selling real estate-wise was fire sales and bank repos and things like that, things that people were liquidating for a little of nothing, and we couldn't afford to do that. And so a year and a half later, our house sells. And in that year and a half, it's so obvious the things that God had us there for. My youngest stepdaughter moved back in for a while, as she saved up money to go to a evangelism and discipleship course in San Diego, um, my father got um, really ill, and my mom needed our help uh, wintertime. I mean, Idaho things, plowing mm-hmm. snow and, and helping with things like that. And then our house sold, and it was perfect timing. My husband had to go clear to North Dakota to work, so I saw him five whole days out of uh, 21, and that was a little rough on our marriage in the sense of just the separation. And I'm a really independent woman and it really kind of brought my independence back out. And then here my husband comes home for five days and interrupts my schedule. (laughs) God knew these things. And so we moved to Mexico September of 2011 and, uh, selling, you know, if you need to thin out your life, sell your house and move to a foreign country, not knowing how big a space and how big of rig you have to haul your stuff. It really kind of helps you put a perspective on things, but that's how we ended up in Mexico. And so I know you have told this story to me before, but you drive up and you probably have some, like some expectations, but maybe not tons because you don't know exactly what you're going into. You haven't been to the place before. 
But this was not what you expected. So kind of tell us a little bit about driving up and what, what you found there. Well, we arrived at like 2.30 in the morning. Mm. And uh, after just driving and traveling and just that's a whole story in itself. And to the person that was staying there um, who was previously managing it, put us up in a room next door and then we got up. The next morning, thinking everything, you know, you expected and there'd be excitement and the new transition and all that. And uh, there was none of that. We were greeted with open hostility from uh, the wife, who we found out a year and a half later was never told that we were coming to take it over. Um, So we, the transition was like one of the ugliest things I think I've ever lived through. Um, as far as dealing with people and stuff. And it really tried us. It tried us hard. Things like we'd already left conflict because my parents, if they could have um, disowned my husband and locked him in a box somewhere because he was taking their daughter away to a foreign, scary, dangerous country where if you go there, you get killed. That was in their mind. So we left that (laughs) and then entered into conflict That was extreme. And we had several conversations of, you know, we're not too deep in this. We've still got the equity of our house. We can just pack our stuff back up and, you know, look on the internet, find a job and move somewhere. But God had other plans. I mean, we had a time where we were just crying out to God together. And we had one of those conversations on a Sunday afternoon, husband, wife deal, and of, just the dark things in our heart and the things that we're thinking and working through and like we could leave. Why did God call us here? All those kinds of things. And there's a knock or not a knock. Uh, somebody pulled up outside the gate of our, our, our facility and asked us, uh, it was a Mexican local, local guy from Mexicali. And he asked if, uh, we had room that night because they drove from Mexicali to Ensenada for the dentist. Hmm. You know, if we'd known what we know now, we would have thought that's really odd because Mexicali is a big enough city that it would have its own dentists and that there would be no need for them to drive several hours to come to the dentist. And it was him and his wife and his two younger daughters. And there were two like 20 something young men and then another older couple. Yeah, we've got room, you know, and we've been here like a month and a half and we're still you know, we don't have any sea legs, so to speak. And this gentleman comes in and sits on our couch and starts visiting with us because he was the only one in the group that spoke any English. And he starts sharing his story and that he's a, he's an evangelist and he's a pastor and all these things. And then he shares his story of how God got a hold of his life. He'd worked for the drug cartel hmm. as a hitman and God called him and he answered. And after he Um, became a believer, he got arrested. And the police knew who he was, and they took him in, and they were all excited because they'd gotten this big bad guy, and they couldn't find any records on him. Hmm. God had wiped everything clean. and But yet, you know, that doesn't provide tons of comfort for my husband. And (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, you know, all the horror stories that, you know, Americans hear about Mexico and how dangerous it is and the drug cartels and all this stuff. And now we have this man sitting on our couch in our (laughs) living room. And the next day before they left for the dentist, they said, we want to pray for you. And as they circled around my husband and I and 
prayed for us. Everyone, even the little girls prayed for us. But I remember his wife and the other older lady specifically, the things that they laid hands on and prayed. And you need to understand that we hadn't shared anything about our struggles with Salvador or any of those things. And his wife and this other lady, they didn't speak any English in any way, shape or form. And when they prayed for us, they spoke to the very things that Mike and I had shared in our hearts Mm. about we can leave. It's hard. Why did God bring us here? And they let us know that God sees us. He understands our struggle and he won't. He didn't take us out Mm -hmm. so far just to leave us hanging. Mm. And um, it's, it's been that way. God has met us in every step since that, that time. Today for the listeners of ReStory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. Today I'm going to suggest that you try The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, as that book has been Heidi and my favorite book for a long time. It has changed my life and um, has been one of those kinds of books that I have to read every single year because it's so convicting and so good. So you can pick up The Calvary Road at Audible trial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your free audiobook, either that one or one that you choose. Tell me a little, that's a great story. And, and I know there's so many stories like that along the way, like you said, I mean, there's just been the handiwork of God throughout this whole thing. Um, but w- it wasn't that you moved into something that was ready made. You probably had assumed that everything would be in working order and all that. So what happened when you got there in terms of assessing the situation with the physical buildings and all that? When it, um, light of the first day in Mexico, we really thought maybe we should just burn it all down and start over. (laughs) Um, the level of disrepair was just disheartening. And I, that added to our, why are we here Oh my gosh, this is going to take every cent we own. All those things. The beds were horrible. The, every roof leaked dirty. The facility was so dirty. Propane leaks everywhere. You walk around outside and it's like it was it just became a common statement. I smell a leak over here somewhere, you know, and I think it took us about a year uh, to find and seal all the leaks, you know, because they do things differently in Mexico. So yeah, so it was, when we finally got to move into the main house, I told Mike, I cannot sleep here unless we clean. And we got to move in and start working on where we would, the main house where we were, would be staying at like 1230 or one in the afternoon. And we quit at midnight and all we'd cleaned was the bedroom and the bathroom. Even my cat's couldn't handle being in the house. I mean, we're talking uh, rodents living in the house uh, full time, wood stacked and stored in the house full of black widow spiders. Um, The walls were just, I mean, when you went to wash them, it just came off brown. You know, that's, you know, it was, everything smelled like mold. So then you're worried about your, you know, your respiratory system and all these things. And it's been four years of nonstop projects and work and fixing. And we were told the facility um, made money and could support itself. But what we walked into was nothing even close to that. And people had stopped going there because of the level of disrepair. So let's uh, camp on that for a moment. The idea of provision, 
Um, I know it's such a hard thing. And I, we all humans struggle with this of how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to eat? How am I going to do that? How, give us a story or a couple ideas about how God has, even though it was kind of disastrous when you got there, how he has sustained you financially through all of this. And by the way, let's go ahead and say the name of the place too. <laughs> oh, uh, we operate uh, Casablanca Retreat um, in little old Punta Banda, uh, Mexico, south of Ensenada. It's actually directly across the bay. And um, like we said, I said, I think earlier that we house short-term missions groups, and um, they come from all over. We've had people as far away as um, Maryland in the U.S. Uh, we have regular groups from Virginia. We've had people from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. um, Alberta, um, British Columbia, of course, California, Idaho, Oregon, all kinds of places. Now I forgot the question. Oh, provision. Oh, provision. Um, yeah, we walked into a place and, well, we started in September and that December, the lease, because we're Americans, we can't own the land. So everything's a lease thing. And that was a few thousand dollars because it's, it's a big facility. So it's several lots. And it's like, we weren't told that it would be due that soon. You know, so we walked in and it's like all of a sudden, not only are we having to shell out money for all the repairs, but then all of a sudden several thousand dollars on top is our lease. And well, we paid it and we're like going, I mean, just knots in the stomach and worry and stress and all these things that, you know, us humans tend to just (laughs) pour on ourselves when God's just sitting there, you know, where's your trust, you know, but in all this, he's worked that out. And we start every year, every January the same for the last four years of we've paid our lease and January one, there is not enough on the books Mm. to even pay our lease of people who are regular, you know, already booked and paid their deposit for the next year. But every year we have paid our lease every year when we've gone and done our taxes, exact everything, exactly what went out is exactly what came Mm. in. And our needs each year have been different, but God has continually met them. Some years, you know, it's like, holy cow, where is this going to come from? And someone calls and says, you know, we just sold this piece of property or something. And we want to, you know, how do we get money to you to help you? Or um, learning to ask for help has been a big thing. Um, all the roofs on our facility needed replaced. And uh, so someone had suggested do a roofing project. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to ask for money like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to trust God. And, and, uh, so then someone said, use the people he wants, let him use the people he wants to use. And so we had a, uh, kind of a fundraiser and, um, all the materials, the money for the materials came in and we had, um, people from Idaho and Virginia and California volunteer to come help do roofs. In a week we did, um, they did three buildings and some of them, like all this, all the ceiling joists all needed to be replaced and all those kinds of things. So it wasn't any small project. And I'm happy to say that we just completed last week, the last little piece of roofing that needed to be redone, but it's all been a, a part of, um, not walking in pride and, um, letting people help you. And I know that's not easy for you. <laughs> uh, okay, the last bit I want to ask about is um, another surprise that came into your life, a little boy, <laughs> and 
just tell me a little bit about, I know that he he's in your care right now. You've not adopted him, and there's reasons for that, and we won't go into that. But tell us a little bit about how you first met him and then how it came to be that he started living at your house. This is a unique story. Like I said, our, I have two stepdaughters, and they're grown, and actually they each have a child of their own, so I guess that technically makes me a grandma, but don't <laughs> call me that. Um, we help out. We don't just run the facility. That's what keeps us in Mexico and helps us. And we have always looked for places to serve and help out that God would want us to. And one of those places is Casa Esperanza, which is a house, a home for um, moms and their kids who don't have anywhere else to go, whether they're coming out of spousal abuse or literally just don't have a house to live in, a roof over their head or anything like that. And that's where we met this little boy. Um, he was living there with his mom. And the only thing I remember about him is when my husband and I would be there, my, my, my husband is kind of their Mr. Fix-It. We'd show up once a week and everything that's broke, he'd try to fix it for him. And this little boy would come out of, you know, if he was done with kindergarten or whatever, he'd come out and just grab your hand and walk with you. And um, that's, that's really the only thing I remember about him. And then I remember not seeing him anymore. And um, about a year and a half later, I was talking to my friend who's the U.S. missionary there, and she said, oh, man, this is going on for this little boy. His mom and her boyfriend decided to be smuggled to the U.S., to enter the U.S. illegally, and she was called excited that she found an orphanage that would take him. And I said, well, do you know anything about this orphanage? And she said, no. And nobody will say anything about it. And that's not a good sign because in Mexico, they will sue you for slander at the drop of a hat. And so nobody will say anything bad. If it's bad, they won't say anything. If it's good, they'll tell you all the good stuff about it. But if they won't tell you anything about it, that's not a good sign. And I I don't know what overcame you, but I told Mike, I said, we need to do something. He goes, well, what do you mean we need to do something? He, are you, you know, I said, we need to do something. This little boy needs to be safe. And he goes, well, what does that mean? Are you saying he needs to come live at our house? I said, no, he's not. Need I'm saying he needs to come live at our house. We don't, you know, what I'm saying is we have friends who have um, operate a Christian-based orphanage. And I said, we need to call this them and say, see if they have room. Ask them, what are our options? And so we called and talked to them and they said, you know, if the mom will meet with us and agree to leave them with us, we will make room, whatever needs to happen. And so the mom met with him and she agreed to leave him there. And it was actually the pastor of their church who let him live in their house for the first few months until they had an open bed in their orphanage. And so after he'd been in the orphanage, not quite a year, that first Christmas, we'd found out that, you know, his mom hadn't left any winter coat or anything for him like that. So when we had been in the States uh, visiting family for Christmas, we picked up a winter coat. And when we returned to Mexico, we took it to him and gave him a winter coat. And then we didn't see him for a couple months. And the orphanage that he was at is the type where the parents are still involved in their kid's family. They either literally don't have a house or they may have a house, but they don't have a room or the money to feed and care for and and have their kids go to school. And so this orphanage takes in these kids and they stay with them during the week and they get fed three meals a day. They They get to go to school and they have all those needs taken care of. And then on the weekends, they would go back home with their parents. And well, um, the little boy's mom was still in Mexico and one weekend she didn't show up to pick him up. And out of the blue, he asked the director, well, will, will Mike come get me? <laughs> My husband. And she said, well, let's call him. 
And so we got this phone call from this little boy who didn't speak any English. And the director, she swears that she tried to teach him to say in English, you can come see me. But what came out was, come get me. Mm. So we arranged, rearranged our whole weekend and we went and picked up this little boy who'd never been to our house, who we'd seen once in the last three months. And, um, it's kind of history by then. He'd just stay with us on weekends. And then we got word that his mom was in the U.S. And so then it became every weekend for sure. And then one day the orphanage came to us and said, you know, we got approached by social services and they have an emergency placement for two boys. And we have one boy transitioning back home with his family because they have a house now. And we know Omar wants to stay with mm -hmm. you guys full time. Are you guys open to that? Luckily, God had had Mike and I have this conversation and we said, sure. You know, it's like, how could I call myself a Christian and not make home room for a boy who needed a place to live? And we had a room. And so he has been with us now um, full time for, well, August was a year. And we're his uh, legal guardians. And because we don't have our permanent residency, which in Mexico, they do not do adoptions. Uh, for people who do not live and are a resident of Mexico. But we're working on that. So this story is still unfolding, <laughs> but very exciting. And he's a sweet little boy and, and just awesome. So, okay. So we're going to finish this by me asking how through all of this, especially your um, adventures in Mexico, uh, how has God restored and restoried you? How has he given you a new story, something you might not have expected um, as a result of being in Mexico for four years? Boy, that's a big question. <laughs> There's so much. Um, it's like how to kind of narrow it down. But I guess part of it goes along with my consistent theme in my life of getting to the end of myself. And it's not about me. And really having a hunger to do and be about God's business for my life. I'm really good at making myself busy. I like lists. I like order. I like things... And um, in the four years I've been here, that has been totally turned upside down in a land of, okay, you can get up with your agenda for the day, um, but there are constant interruptions of calls like at Esperanza. Our first year working there was, um, the septic's backed up in the showers again. Can you come help us? Mm -hmm. Or we've got a flat tire or this door won't open or, you know, and so you drop everything and go and go to help, to help someone else, even though my list was really long. It's not about my list. God brought me to Mexico to serve. And I think there's things within my heart that I'm not sure I would have let God teach them to me back in the comfort of um, Idaho. And, uh, you know, because I had to really get over myself <laughs> in a sense. And he has, um, you know, someone asked me, um, earlier this year, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, all these things. And I said, you know, I'm just really coming to realize I'm just a broken woman and it's Christ who puts me back together. And it's the glue of the Holy Spirit and him working in my life and how that has to be a constant fresh flow. Otherwise I get stagnant. I get hard in my heart when I get, when I get stagnant and then I don't serve with joy. And the lesson, even in the midst of however hard things have been, it's been, how do I serve with joy? And it's not that, you know, yippee skippy jump up and down, but it's the joy that James talks about. 
the joy in trials. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that comes from having a, my foundation is secure mm-hmm. and my hope is not in this life. And it's also really given me a picture of when Paul talks about that we are sojourners on this earth. I love Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's where I was born and raised. And for the first, I don't know how long of being in Mexico, Idaho was always home. And I heard, I, I read something written by another foreign, foreign field missionary about the sojourner and how when you live in a foreign country, it will never be your home. The culture will, no matter how well you speak the language, no matter how many years you've been there, it's not natural for you. It's not what just flows out of you. It becomes easier and you become a little more compatible and used to it. But then also home, what you used to call home, isn't home either. And I've experienced that when I've gone back to Idaho and all my friends and family, they have their schedule and they're wrapped up in that and they will interrupt it a bit to spend time with me, but I'm an outsider now. And so Idaho's not my home anymore. So Mexico's not my home and Idaho's not my home. And it's like, I'm so thankful that my final home is safe and secure with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really kind of how God has redone me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and he's still continuing to redo that in me, but I've got to keep a softness in my heart to let him do that work. Otherwise I'll, you know, take all my toys and go home and throw a fit, you know, or whatever, you know, and you see, you know, you see people who call themselves believers do that. They get hard and they get rigid Mm -hmm. and they don't want to change. And I don't want that. I want to continually change because I think my whole life, whatever, how many days I have left will be a continual molding of me to be more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that when I read read the word, that won't ever be done until <laughs> until I get my new body. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's how we should always end every interview is with Jesus. <laughs> and we all want to be more like him. And our restoring process always involves surrender and laying down of our rights and laying down our agendas. And and to me, that's a, such a good picture. And, you know, as you know, Heidi, I've lived overseas too. And I think there's this, you're right. You, you get this idea that there is our, our hearts are longing. Randy Alcorn once said, um, we, uh, all humans long for a person in a place. The person is Jesus and the place is heaven. Mm-hmm. And so when you're overseas and you're an alien in a foreign land, so to speak, you, you begin to just have more compassion for other people that go through that, but you also have a longing for your actual land, you know, the someday. So with that, we'll end this interview. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to speak with Heidi and uh, her restory process. And I pray that it has been an encouragement to you as well. Thanks for listening to Restory. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had with Heidi, just to hear her heart and to see her faithfulness. And I just pray you would bless her and her husband and their ministry and that you would do exciting, new, transformational things there. And Lord, for those of us who have curveballs thrown to us in the past uh, couple weeks or months, I just thank you that Heidi's story can help us to remember that you are always so good, and you have an amazing plan, even if we don't understand it in the midst. Lord, would you give us the 14,000-foot perspective that we could fly above our problems and 
begin to remember and look back and see and trace your faithfulness all through the years so that we don't have to be sad today, but that we could endure our trials with joy and with peace and with a settled attitude, knowing that you've got the whole world and our whole world and the people in our world in your hands today. Oh, that we would be a trusting people instead of a doubting people, that we would be a faith-filled people instead of a grumbling people, that we would praise you instead of always whining and complaining. I only pray that because it's my own struggle, and um, I just pray for myself today that you would help me to be one who worships you in the midst of whatever's going on. Lord Jesus, would you bring us a new story today? Would you change the painful parts of our story and make something amazing and good and beautiful out of it? I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com forward slash 1010. And may you live a brand new story this week.